0: Hello, thank you for listening to Rapid ONG for Medical Students. My name is Professor Justin Clark, and I'm joined today by Dr Helen Stevenson to discuss the second and third stages of labour. Helen, in our last podcast we discussed the definition of labour, the first stage of labour and the assessment of the mother and the foetus. So can you now tell me what happens during the second stage of labour to enable the baby to be born?
1: So what you're referring to is the mechanism of delivery. The foetus has to pass through the female pelvis, and this is best achieved by aligning the smallest diameter of the leading or the presenting anatomical foetal part, usually the occipital region of the foetal skull, with the largest diameter of the female pelvis. The situation is made more complex by the fact that the optimal diameters of the female pelvis change from the inlet to the mid-cavity and then the outlet. The widest part of the pelvic inlet is in the transverse diameter, so the foetus will enter the pelvis in the transverse position. The presenting part is usually the head, and we refer to this as a cephalic presentation. The most common form of cephalic presentation is vertex presentation, where the head is flexed and the occiput is the leading part. In the normal situation, the lie of the fetus, which is the relationship between the longitudinal axis of the fetus and of the mother, is longitudinal with a cephalic presentation.
0: But can't some babies be born bottom first?
1: Yes, more rarely the buttocks or the feet, which is referred to as the breech, may present first. Also, the lie may not be longitudinal. It may be oblique, which is diagonal, or transverse, which means horizontal. In such situations, the shoulder usually presents, and we refer to anything other than a cephalic presentation as a mal-presentation.
0: Okay, so let's assume the normal situation where there is a cephalic presentation. What happens next?
1: Well, in a cephalic presentation, the position at the pelvic inlet is occipitotransverse, and the presenting part then descends and flexes to enter the mid-cavity of the pelvis. The head is considered to be engaged when the widest part of the foetal skull, which is the biparietal diameter, has passed through the pelvic inlet or the pelvic brim. At this point, the presenting part undergoes internal rotation, so the foetus is now in the occipito-anterior position, which is now in alignment with the widest anterior-posterior diameter of the pelvic outlet. Uterine contractions then lead to the foetus descending further through the pelvic outlet and onto the perineum, where the head then extends to deliver. There is then a process of restitution where the now exposed fetal head undergoes external rotation to come into line with the shoulders which are still in the female pelvis allowing them and the rest of the baby to be delivered to understand this better it's a good idea to simulate the process of delivery using a mannequin and a bony pelvis and you'll find these on most delivery suites
0: that's really interesting so changes in the position of the baby are designed to optimize the passage through the female bony pelvis and the birth canal but i'm aware that some women get stuck in the second stage of labor
1: yeah, we refer to a delayed second stage as failure to progress. And this occurs when the descent of the presenting part, normally the head, doesn't continue. We can assess this by abdominal examination, but more accurately by assessing the station of the presenting part, which means its relationship to the ischial spines of the female bony pelvis, which are easily palpable on a vaginal examination. If the head is two centimetres above the spines, this would be referred to as a station of minus two. And if it was two centimetres below the spines, this would be a station of plus two. We also assess for signs of an obstructed labour. This is where there appears to be a relative disproportion between the presenting part and the female pelvis. So
0: what are the signs of obstructed labour?
1: Well, in a cephalic presentation, prolonged pressure on the head in the birth canal will cause excessive caput, which is subcutaneous edema, which is palpable as a sort of ill-defined soft swelling over the fetal scalp. There may also be moulding of the fetal skull where the cranial sutures become opposed or begin to overlap. In such cases, assisted delivery by either a forceps or a ventouse, which is a type of suction device, or surgical delivery by a cesarean section may be necessary.
0: You said that the third stage of labour is from delivery of the baby, uh, uh, sorry, delivery of the placenta and the membranes. How is this? You said that the third stage of labour is from delivery of the baby to delivery of the placenta and membranes. How is this stage of labour managed?
1: If we do nothing and wait for the placenta to deliver spontaneously, this is termed a physiological third stage and can take up to one hour. Active management of the third stage refers to the routine use of a uterotonic drug, such as intramuscular oxytocin, which is given immediately following delivery of the baby, together with controlled traction on the remaining umbilical cord to deliver the placenta. Active management reduces the risk of bleeding postpartum and speeds up delivery of the placenta. If the placenta isn't delivered within 30 minutes of active management, then a manual removal of the placenta is required in theatre, under a regional or a general anaesthetic.
0: So we've now discussed the three stages of labour. Let's go on to the management of pain in labour. I'm aware that the process of labour can be very painful, so what are the options to help control this pain during labour?
1: Choices over pain management in labour should ideally have been discussed with the woman antenatally, and then again at various points throughout her labour. Some pain relief can be provided by techniques such as massage and breathing exercises and warm water also has some benefit. Analgesia can be provided by inhaling a 50% oxygen and 50% nitrous oxide mixture, which is commonly referred to as gas and air or Entonox, during the contractions. Opiates can also be given.
0: Now, I've heard that opiates like pethidine aren't good for the baby.
1: Opiates such as pethidine, which is given intramuscularly, or intravenous diamorphine or remifentanil, can safely be used as analgesia in labour, but they do have side effects such as inducing nausea and drowsiness in the mum. They also cross the placenta and can sedate the baby. Pethidin should be avoided if birth is imminent to prevent the neonate being born in a floppy condition or during labour if there are concerns with the CTG.
0: And what's about epidurals? I've heard that these can make labour painless.
1: Yes, epidural anaesthetic can provide very effective pain relief, but they're not always 100% effective. A local anaesthetic agent and an opiate are injected into the epidural space through a fine catheter, usually at the level of lumbar vertebrates L3 and L4. If women require a caesarean section or an operative procedure, then we tend to use something called a spinal anaesthetic. This is a similar technique, but a single injection is given into the cerebrospinal fluid within the subarachnoid space to provide a denser block for a shorter period of time.
0: Uh, Are there side effects to epidural and spinal anaesthesia?
1: Yes, these regional anaesthetics limit mobility, and they often require a urinary catheter to be placed to avoid urinary retention. They can also induce hypotension and cause a headache. Epidurals can prolong the second stage of labour, making an instrumental delivery more likely.
0: And are there any women who can't be given a regional block?
1: There are women in whom we have to be cautious when giving a regional anaesthetic. These include women with thrombocytopenia, recent administration of anticoagulation therapy or known clotting disorders due to the risk of bleeding within the epidural space. We also have to be careful in those with local sepsis at the epidural site or septicemia because of the risk of introducing infection or in those with uncorrected hypotension as the epidural may drop their blood pressure further. We should also be careful in cases of fetal distress requiring urgent delivery.
0: Do instrumental deliveries always require regional anaesthetic?
1: No, we can also use local anaesthetic prior to instrumental deliveries, or for that matter before making episiotomies in an otherwise normal delivery. This involves infiltrating the skin where the episiotomy will be performed. For instrumental deliveries, A pudendal block can also be used which involves injecting local anaesthetic around both pudendal nerves to numb the perineum.